available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site of the Scout.com network. And I am Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site of the Scout.com network. And we are the Podcast of Champions. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Dave. Hope you're having a good one so far. I'm having a great one, Ryan. How are you feeling this this fine morning? If we're going to go behind the curtain, I'm going to have to be honest, I... uh had a couple adult beverages last night. Have to get up every Friday to do our war room uh, for uscfootball.com. Those subscribers love that. Had to do it on Christmas Day, which was on the East Coast, so it wasn't too bad because getting up early was like three hours difference. But today, getting up and do the war room after uh, having some beverages last night and then having to do the podcast of champions afterwards, I'm a little hurting right now, Dave. But this is such a joy. You know, this brings you so much joy. I think this is actually, recording this with me is probably the cure for a hangover. It might be. The cure be. for the common hangover is this podcast. I'm going to try a breakfast burrito after this, but I think, you know, maybe I won't need it because. I don't think you're going to need it. I don't think you're going to need it. I think anybody listening to this podcast later on this morning or into the early afternoon, I think any, any lingering effects of New Year's are going to be abated by this very podcast. I, this one we're recording right here. If I sound a little chipper, it's because I enjoyed no adult beverages last night, and I went to sleep at uh, about nine o'clock. Wow! Great. Yeah. Well, props to you, Dave. You're a, a better man than me. I. The beauty of having a two-year-old. <laughs> the beauty. The beauty of having a two-year-old. <laughs> it's kind of forced your hand there. Well, okay. Uh-huh. So what we're gonna do today, Dave? I'm gonna give the uh, information about how to get a hold of us and all that kind of stuff. But we have five bowl games to recap. And our mm-hmm. picks are on fire. Just to let you know, they are they're fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. <laughs> we are five one and one against the spread, picking in the Pac twelve games. So that's pretty good. We make you a lot of money in Las Vegas. So we're gonna recap the five games. We'll try not to go too long into that. And then, of course, we have got three games coming up. One of them today, we are recording this New Year's morning, as you can probably tell by the Hangover Talk. Um, we're gonna try to do it New Year's Eve little technical difficulty so apologize for a little bit later podcast but i'm excited we got a lot to, to do in the show dave yeah it's gonna be a ton of fun so throw them throw them our contact info Let's yeah it's going so uh our website is pack12podcast.com if you want to check out our blog we put up our picks we put up our our rankings during the season or of course we put up every single episode of the podcast of champions uh if you want to email us that's a great way you can uh get your questions in pack12podcast at gmail.com voicemail we love getting these 641-715-3900 is the number extension 734-972 and if you want to subscribe you know you got to listen we're going to do this during the off season go to itunes.com slurch for search slurch search slurch slurch your way over to itunes and slurch for <laughs> podcast of champions that's us the pack 12 podcast ryan and dave bringing it to the you slurch. Yeah. the slurch it's so good. It's we'll, so good. We'll probably do a lot of recruiting stuff, Dave, I would think, over the next month. And we'll get, like, you know, uh, Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins and some of the scout guys on to talk about the Pac-12 as a whole, uh, how they're recruiting and all that kind of stuff. So if you have questions about recruiting of the team, uh, send them in to uh, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com. Great stuff. Great stuff. And so we've got, we've got, We've got five whole games to recap today. We've got three games to preview. We've got tons to do. Should should we just jump right into it? I think we should, Dave. I think we should get right into our Pac-12 Roundup. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right. So the first game we're going to talk about. So we already talked about uh, Arizona and Utah. uh, Both wins for the Pac-12, but more importantly, Both covers. Huh? (laughs) Both covers. No, no. One was a tie. The one was a tie. Yeah. Right. So that was our tie. So that was uh, we were one zero oh, and one after the uh, the first kind of round. The two, and then we got five more here where we did pretty well. Like I said, we're five one and one overall. And so let's talk first about 
Washington State Cougars. Against Miami. Um, this one uh, was a cover for Washington State, but it actually got a little close and a little tricky there at the end. Uh, in the Sun Bowl, Washington State won 20-14 to over Miami. But if you watch this game, um, Miami really cooged it there at the end. Um, they had... Uh, <laughs> They had like a 70-yard drive that ended, I think it was like, you know, very late in the fourth quarter at this point, um, and they were driving down by six, and they had a 70-yard drive that ended with a fumble inside the five-yard, and uh, Washington State recovered, didn't do anything on offense after that, but then Miami followed that up with an interception, uh, and that was all she wrote, but um, Washington State, this was kind of a, a scenario where they hung on to win. Yeah, uh, it was it was twenty to seven ish at one point, and then they really got nothing going offensively in the second half. Had a bunch of punt, like bunch of three and outs in a row, um, and Miami almost was able to pull it off. Luckily for us, uh, they didn't Phew. kick a field goal or anything, and we got the we got the cover win out of this one. But it was close. I was a little nervous watching this one. Yeah, it was uh, Washington State minus three, and if you if you got to watch the game, hopefully you got to see the second half when there was snow everywhere. Yeah. In El Paso, Texas. So I was in, I, mean, I was in Washington DC for the holidays with my uh, family, my sister's house there. And, uh, it was, pre- it was like 65 degrees, 70 degrees. It was warmer than LA. And then we're watching this bowl game. Like it is snowing like sideways in El Paso. It was, it was pretty funny. But yeah, the second half, I don't know if the snow just, you know, impacted Luke Falk all that much. Um, he was two of 11 for 11 yards in the fourth quarter. They didn't get any points in the second half so maybe the snow really did bother him but it was i think that's a great way to describe it um miami cooked it big time they had three turnovers they're all in washington state territory two of them inside the five yard line and they had a you know a td pass that turned into an interception and you know it looked like he was caught and you know flipped back over it was kind of crazy so i think washington state's kind of lucky i think to to win this game but give them credit you know they 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 didn't play well offensively in the second half but the defense kind of came up big, and Miami really is probably kicking themselves at this point, knowing that man, they they had this game if they if they really wanted it. Yeah, and you know it was obviously a, a weird end of the season for Washington State, but it was a win. Um, but yeah, if you look at that second half, here here's here's a uh, Washington State drives. So the first two drives were actually pretty good. They had ten plays, forty eight yards, but they turned it over on downs. And then the next drive, seven plays, 56 yards, and turned it over on downs. So they were in kind of that weird fourth down position. But then it went three plays, punt, three plays, punt, five plays, punt, three plays, punt, three plays, punt. And then five plays, 14 yards at the end of the game. So offense really, really struggled in the second half. I mean, it was Luke Falk's, you know, yeah, after, what was it, a full month of, you know, being off and, you know, including the Apple Cup, a little bit over a month. So he was probably a little bit rusty. Um, the offense wasn't quite humming the way it was at the end of the year, uh, but Washington State finished with nine wins. I mean, in a year where people were just kind of hoping they'd be bowl eligible after last year's kind of disappointment of a season, and now going into next year, I think a lot of people are, are thinking of Washington State as a legitimate contender in the North, um, which is kind of shocking considering where they were, not even just a year ago, but where they were after the first game of the season losing, losing to Portland State. And now to be here, I mean, they're they're a, a weird loss against Portland State from being a ten win team right now. That's that's a that's a real turnaround, and you got to give credit to Leach and that entire team for that. Yeah, no more hot seat for Leach. Um, so no, I, not I, at all. Yeah, I think that that you know helped him. It's 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 making the North all that much more interesting for next year. We'll talk about a lot during the off season. Um, I don't know if you saw the play where the uh, that terrible interception they had the running back kind of. Go oh, out yeah. wide and throw it. Just a complete duck that was picked up. That was awful. It was for for Miami doing that. Yeah, that was that was one of the worst tricky type plays I think I've seen this year. <laughs> that was that was that was a disaster. So, Wazoo finishes nine wins. That's great. Yeah, Wazoo. And uh, congrats to uh, Dom Williams and Gabe Marks. They both finished with a thousand yards receiving. So it was the first time uh, Cougar receiver tandem did that in school history. So. Uh, Nice for those guys. It was nice to get Gabe Barks back too, I think, for this game. And of Absolutely. course, of course, Luke Falk. So, all right. The Cougs win. We covered minus three. So we got that pick right. Uh, the next game, another day after Christmas game was UCLA Bruins. 
against Nebraska. UCLA lost to a 5-7 and seven team in the Foster Farms Bowl. Um, you know, this is one of those games where I think when we were talking about motivation and all those sorts of things coming into this, uh, into this week, we were, you know, I, I think we both mentioned this is an obvious one where UCLA might not be the more motivated team. And I think we saw that to an extent. Um, UCLA was in pretty good shape in the first half. They went up 21 to seven at one point, but it w- it was kind of, it wasn't smoke and mirrors exactly, but Nebraska was pretty much able to move the ball most of the game. They ran the ball over, it was over 300 yards. Um, and UCLA had no answer for Tommy Armstrong, but more to the point, they had no answer for any type of running game that Nebraska wanted to do. Straight ahead runs, option type stuff, zone read type stuff, no answer whatsoever. Uh, run defense is a huge issue for UCLA all year. It's going to be an issue going into the offseason. They've got to figure out some answers there. Um, but Nebraska was able to run it all over them. Uh, it was, you know, you have to say about Nebraska, they're, they're much better than a typical five and seven team. They should have been, you know, by advanced stats, they should have been over 500 this year. They probably should have been like a seven and five, eight and four type team. Uh, but they got very, very unlucky in close games. Um, UCLA. Very disappointing end of the season. Um, you know, finishing eight and five, uh, with, you know, two back to back losses against USC and now Nebraska. Uh, but it was, uh, not, not a pretty game for UCLA. Uh, the second half, I, I think they, I, I'm trying to remember the stat, but I think in the third quarter they had two offensive yards. Um, I think it was two 201 drives. to one. That, yeah. Okay. That's, that's what uh, I wrote down, but yeah, they had th- their first. There are two drives that ended in the third quarter. I mean, they only had two complete offensive drives were three plays minus two yards and three plays minus two yards. Um, so that tells you pretty much what you need to know there. Um, but yeah, ugly game. I think it thankfully ends the season for UCLA. I think they kind of limped to the finish. I don't think they were particularly motivated in this one and it showed the, uh, it was a weird kind of wave of momentum shifts. And a lot of times college football games and bowl games in general are like that but i think it was the tommy armstrong fumble uh early in the game and then it you know usually gets the ball back they go up 21 7 and looks you know kind of like they're rolling in this one but at that point it just you know the huskers took back over they you could tell that nebraska had a plan in place about you know sticking with the run and even you know the problem is you can kind of get behind schedule sometimes with a holding call or turnover like you saw with that fumble that usually you know, punched in and, and went up a couple of touchdowns, but they never got out of that game plan. And because of the UCLA run defense was so bad, you had some funny tweets and uh, about that, but they just yeah. kind of kept going at it and, you know, and, and just took over the game. Like you said, it was a 201. I, that's why I wrote, maybe it's not the exact number, 201 to one yard advantage in the third quarter for Nebraska. But then UCLA comes back and they're only down eight. Uh, but then a couple of bad drives, they rolled out Josh Rosen, which doesn't seem like you're, you're playing to his strengths and, um, but you know, in, in general, what I, my, the theme of the game for me, Dave, was when Nebraska was running the football, even if they made contact at the line of scrimmage, they were falling forward and they were getting three, four, five extra yards after contact almost on every carry. And that, that was just going to be too hard to sustain throughout the whole game for UCLA. Yeah. I mean, especially after, I think the, the first quarter or so, I thought UCLA's run defense was okay. Um, it wasn't, they weren't doing that quite yet. Um, but starting about the second quarter on, completely right. I mean, it was, they would hit the hole and then no matter what, they were getting four yards, just four yards, four yards, four yards, eight yards, four yards, four yards. And it was just, that's not, it's not sustainable. Um, I think the bend but don't break style of defense, um, it can work, but your personnel has to be pretty much perfect. And UCLA's was not this year. Um, and the defensive line, you know, they were playing, UCLA plays kind of an undersized linebacker at one of the defensive end positions because they're essentially running a hybrid 3-4-4-3. But, you know, Nebraska was able to run at his side quite a bit and just, you know, kind of open up holes at will. And it's just, I think it's fundamentally a schematic flaw, but, um, yeah, UCLA didn't really have much of a way to adjust to what Nebraska was doing. Um, and weirdly, they seemed almost a little confused about Tommy Armstrong's ability to run because, uh, and it's kind of weird because he was, you know, he ran for almost 800 yards last season. I mean, he hasn't run quite as much this year, but this guy is a, a, a guy who can definitely run and they seemed a little confused 
about what it was he was doing out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the run defense was this most significant issue. UCLA went into this game. We should say something positive. UCLA went into this game with uh, only six healthy offensive linemen, lost one of them in the game. So they were playing with a walk-on starter at left guard, a guy who was a defensive lineman last week at right guard, um, a redshirt freshman uh, tackle at, at right tackle who's you know played sparingly this year. And the offensive line didn't do badly. They gave up one sack. Um, they didn't run the ball particularly well, but they didn't really try to run the ball that much. Um, but UCLA's offensive line played pretty well despite some losses, and that's obviously good going into next year because UCLA has now lost one, two, three definite starters from uh, this year, and then one starter was academically ineligible for the game, and the other starter is still determining whether or not he's going to leave early. So UCLA could be breaking in an entirely new offensive line next year. Yeah, that was weird. It was NFL-like, where, you know, a guy gets hurt in the NFL on the offensive line. Like, oh, there's only seven on the roster. Like, really? Like, you know, but it was weird. UCLA had, like, six on the roster going into the game. Like, You just don't hear that in college very much. Yeah, a bunch of dudes just were hurt or academically ineligible or have already retired or, in the case of Alex Redmond, had already left school to go out to the NFL draft. So, yeah, they were definitely under under undermanned uh, heading into the game. The uh, the, the uh, Nate Gary, uh, the safety for Nebraska that ended up getting tossed, caused a pretty big stir on Twitter. I wanted to get your, your take on that, Dave. Well, I thought it was ridiculous. I mean, he, that was almost a perfect form tackle, uh, the, the targeting call that he got thrown out on. I mean, it was a completely perfect tackle. I mean, if you saw Jim Moore on the sideline, he was, he was basically telling him, Hey, that was perfect. I don't know why you're getting thrown out, but that was, that was ridiculous. That was so, cool. He, they were taught, you could see them talking and him, you know, for the opposing head coach to be like, Bro, man, that sucked. Like, <laughs> that just shouldn't have happened. Well, J- Mora's been very fed up with officiating this year, so I, I completely buy him taking the side of anyone who's, you know, getting slightly screwed by the officials. But yeah, I thought it was ridiculous. I thought that was one of the, I mean, if you were watching that as like a, a football person, you're like, wow, that was a, that was one of the best tackles I've seen all season. Right. And, oh, okay. I guess it's targeting because he incidentally hit, I think it was Paul Perkins, incidentally hit his helmet. I mean, if anything, Perkins was the one who kind of drove his helmet into Gary. I mean, it was just, I don't know, uh, that that kind of stuff. I think they really need to reevaluate what they're looking for on targeting because that kind of thing, okay, if you want to call that on the field, okay. You want to be, you know, safety first, the whole deal. But when that goes to review, it has to be overturned because there was clearly, A, no intent, and B, I mean, I, it was really incidental contact. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot there, so I didn't, I didn't get how that could be reviewed. I completely understand where on the field, be, go overboard and call it all targeting. But when it goes to review, you can't, you can't sustain that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That was absolutely ridiculous. So that was kind of put a little damper on the beginning of the game, but it's just one of those things. Um, yeah. that we've seen that theme a lot in these bowl games, which sucks. We just, hopefully they can change the rule. Yeah. Unfortunate. All right. Uh, next game. I might have got a little out of order. I think these were on the same day. Um, I think this was a, a, the after the day after Christmas bowl as well. Washington Huskies <laughs> against Southern Miss. I keep waiting. It's so weird. I keep waiting for our sound effect for the other team, <laughs> and of course we don't have one. Uh, Washington beat Southern Miss forty four thirty one. An offensive explosion for Washington in this one. Um, it was uh this one went pretty much I think how we expected. Didn't we call this as potentially a double digit win? We did. Oh yeah. So the UCLA game, uh the Bruins were favored by six and a half, and we both took Nebraska and the points, so we did win that one since Nebraska won outright. This one, uh Washington was favored by eight and a half. Um yeah. and we kind of felt they'd win by maybe a little more than that, I think. Which they did. Yeah. Yeah, and they did. Um, this was really, it was kind of the Miles Gaskin show, but it was interesting. Gaskin through the first, I want to say like his first 10 carries or so, he had like 13 yards and then he kind of just blew up over the second half of this game. Um, really started to, Washington was really starting to able to be able to control it on the ground. Um, and they put together some nice drives. Um, this is kind of what we were talking about all year or towards the end of the year. 
I don't, I don't think anybody wants to play Washington right now. Um, I think they're ending the season in a really, really good way. I think they've got a, a lot to be positive about going into next year. Jake Browning got really, seemed to get really comfortable towards the second half of the year and started to, you know, look more and more like he's going to go into next season as, you know, feeling like a season starter. You've got to be really excited about Miles Gaskin, but most importantly, you've got to be really excited about that defense. Southern Miss has a good offense. Yeah. Um, and the defense was able to make enough plays here and there to, to kind of keep them down a little bit. It wasn't, you know, one of those elite performances we've seen from Washington's defense this year, but in spots, they were really good. Um, and it was more than enough to have a comfortable win in a bowl game, send Washington into the offseason with a winning record, which I don't think anybody would have predicted before the year. Um, so big, big, big win for Washington. Great job by Chris Peterson to get this team to seven and six this year. Early on, I looked to me, it was kind of like a, a men versus boys thing, but I was impressed the way Southern Miss kind of came back. And, uh, the, the Washington defense looked pretty elite. I think it was the first couple of drives. And then Southern Miss hit that like long, you know, touchdown yeah. pass. And then it became, you know, a closer game. Uh, there was a Washington turnover, I think, early in the second half where Southern Miss ended up tying it at 24. And kind of like what Nebraska did, I think Washington did the same thing. They just kind of pounded it on the ground. Um, Gaskin had this 86-yard touchdown run that I thought was kind of the the key turning point there. Um, and, yeah, like you said, they, they killed it on the ground. Gaskin ended up having four touchdowns. Jake Browning didn't throw a touchdown pass, but he didn't have any interceptions. He wasn't making mistakes. He let the ground game kind of, um, you know, just take things over. And I thought they were patient enough, Dave, because it looked like there was times you could press where Southern Miss kept coming back, but they stuck to the game plan. I think the defense played well enough, like you said, against a very good, um, Southern Miss offense. And, um, they, you know, they, they averaged, the Golden Eagles averaged 191 yards on the ground and they only had 22 yards rushing on 30 carries. So yeah, they, they made some big plays in the passing game, but Washington was able to stifle that run game and, eventually let their run game just kind of take over and, and, and win this game like we thought they would. Yeah, and uh, they ran the ball for over six yards of carry in this game. Wow. Which is pretty darn impressive. Uh, not only just Gaskin, but, you know, Jalen Mickens had a kind of a tricky play for a touchdown. Uh, Jake Browning uh, ran for 28 yards on five carries himself. So they, they got a lot of contributions from a lot of guys. Um, I think just, you know, th- their offense might be, I mean, Southern Miss defense isn't very good, but Washington's offense had a couple of nice performances, especially over the last half of the season. That makes you think that, you know, something was starting to click a little bit there. You know, they were really bad offensively at the beginning of the year, but maybe something was starting to click by the end of the year, and that gives you even more hope heading into next year. But that Pac-12 North is starting to look really competitive going into next year because you got the two Washington schools, you've got Stanford, you've got Oregon. I mean, that, that could be a, a Pac-12 South-esque um, fight for the uh, top in the North. Yeah, and w- what if Cal wins 11 games again? I mean, there'd be a whole bunch of things going on <laughs> in the North. Did you see the uh, Statue of Liberty play? I thought that was pretty cool. It didn't didn't score a touchdown. It wasn't as good as the the Chris Peterson Boise State versus Oklahoma. No, but it was pretty sweet. It was, it was pretty, pretty cool. sweet to watch. It was like, oh, that's nice. That's, that's what we want to see. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's what we want to see in a bowl game. Yeah. Just have fun with it. Some cool stuff. Uh, yeah. all right. Should we move on? Let's move on to another Pac-12 North team that did not win 11 games. I was, I, I wrote that down. I guess it wasn't true. I didn't remember. Weird. I, I could have sworn they were a shoe in for 11 and one. <laughs> didn't happen. But yeah, I thought they had a good season. California Golden Bears. So this is the one team that did not go according to plan. They did not do what we wanted them to do. No. Uh, but they won, and that's the most important thing. Uh, Cal, 55, Air Force 36. This was a pretty significant blowout um, win for Cal. Um, finished the year 8-5. and five. Uh, You know, it, kind of an up-and-down year for Cal, but uh, finishing on a high note with this one. And really, really awesome performance from Jared Goff here. Uh, went 25 of 37 for 467 yards and six touchdowns. Um, so... I think there were some there was some talk that he had some nagging injuries all year, but I think he got very healthy for this game and put together one of his best performances of the season. At one point in the third quarter, this was I think it was forty five twenty one at one point. Um, so this got to be you know blowout territory pretty early in the third quarter. Um, but they they dominated. We picked I think we both picked Air Force outright. Oh yeah, um, 
but uh, but Cal Cal came to play and they uh, they pretty much handled everything Air Force wanted to do um, and uh, put their stamp on them in a big way uh, offensively. Yeah, I, I unfortunately I don't have much on this one. This was I was watching on my iPad and it wasn't going the way that you know I was visiting my family. It wasn't going the way I was. Like man, Cal just kept scoring and scoring. <laughs> not that we're, we're not rooting against. We're rooting for our picks. So if we pick something, it doesn't matter. You know, we're 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 Pac-12 honks here. We're the podcast of champions. We want the Pac-12 to do well in the bowl games. But you know, our picks matter. You know, we want to. Our we picks wanna... are the most important thing in the world. <laughs> um, so I was like, man, Cal just. I mean, everything was was going right. You remember the early part of the season when Cal was going on that run and went five and zero or whatever it was, or yeah. was it four and something like that. And they were we were talking about the uh, eleven and one and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they looked a lot more like that. And Jared Goff, maybe it's that he got healthy, but he helped himself quite a bit. I think people were kind of getting down on him a little bit more, but he was dropping dimes all over the place, showing that arm off, and I think that's going to help him. Uh, you know, at the next level, you know, going into the draft and he's, it's official now he's going to the uh, NFL draft, but they, I think he needed a kind of game like that. I don't think either of us expected he was going to come out and play like gangbusters again, but he did. And if he was going to do that, Air Force just wasn't going to be able to, to catch up. They did some good things offensively, but the Cal defense, I thought played well. And, and of course, Jared Goff went absolutely bonkers. Absolutely. And, you know, I thought they handled, they handled that Air Force rushing attack pretty well. Um, you know, Air Force was going to get some yards because it's kind of a weird offense to go up against. But I thought they handled it for the most part pretty well. Um, you know, Air Force rushed for 285 yards, but it wasn't like, you know, they were just gashing them all day. Um, I, I thought I thought all in all, it was a pretty good performance for Cal. Obviously, they go into next year with a lot of questions now. You know, lose some receivers. They lose golf. That offense could take a step back. I think. Dykes announced this week that Luke Rubenzer, who had switched to safety, is going to switch back to quarterback to factor into that competition next year. Um, but they've got some questions there. And, I, you know, I, I think people were hoping that this Cal gear would be enough that it could kind of sustain Cal's recruiting through next year, which could be a tough year again. And I think they got there. I think eight and five is a good number. I think that's something that can give Dykes, you know, something to sell on the recruiting trail that he can pitch to recruits. Um, but next year could be, you know, back to a kind of a tough year. Um, but if they can get, get a good recruiting class in there, build a little bit, bit of momentum going into this season, um, then they, they, they should be able to kind of bounce back within the next couple of years and, you know, get back to a, a consistently good program, which would be nice to see for Cal. Do you have the uh, turnover numbers in front of you for both teams? Let's see. Let's see Sorry, what we can put you on the spot um, there. I've got three turnovers for Air Force and one for Cal. So yeah, I I when I think when we did the preview, I really felt that uh, Cal was going to need to force a bunch of turnovers, but I didn't feel that the Arizona, I mean Arizona, oh god, the Air Force offense was one of the you know because they're running the triple, there wasn't going to be like a whole bunch of turnovers. It got a few, and I think that certainly helped, but I I didn't think turnovers were going to be as big of a factor. Um, you know, getting three, I think, you know, it, it's nice, but it wasn't, I just felt that when the Cal defense played well, it was because they forced a bunch of turnovers. I just didn't see that happening with Air Force, but you know, a couple of that, you get a few of those and golf, you know, uh, going bonkers. It just seemed to, it seemed to all yeah. work well for Cal, which is good to see. Wait, that's too much for an Air Force team to handle. I mean, when, when Cal is looking that explosive offensively, I, I didn't, there wasn't much way that Air Force was going to win that game. They needed golf to play kind of the way he's played a lot of the year, you know, pretty good, but nothing spectacular. And this was spectacular golf. And there was no way Air Force was going to hang with him on a night when he was playing like this. Yeah. All right. So we have, uh, we got one more, one more recap one more to talk about. I was, I was at this one and I, you know, were you? Yeah, it is. Was Clay Trojan. Sorry. Uh, no, no, I was just, you know, trolling a little bit. Uh, Wisconsin <laughs> won 23-21 over USC uh, in the Holiday Bowl. Um, this, I, I think my favorite part of this game um, was your tweet, or it might have been your tweet, it might have been somebody else, but I think everybody tweeted about simultaneously on that last drive um, when Kessler threw the, like, seven yard out when he needed ten yards on fourth and ten. And everyone just was like, oh, 
that's just the perfect way for this USC <laughs> way, season to end on a on a two minute drive where they're running it like it's an eight minute drive and they throw underneath on a fourth and ten. It was perfect. That's... It was the you know it was the microcosm of the entire season. Um, you know, Cody Kessler's career at least this year he just you know seemed to regress a little bit from what where he was last year the thirty nine touchdowns and five picks just wasn't the same, David. He you know it's kind of been a a check down thing, and I think with Clay Helton, we've asked about that. And the two minute drill hasn't been good. They, they, you know, look like they were trying to run the clock out against Stanford down a couple touchdowns. Same thing against, or a couple scores, same thing against Notre Dame, where they're dumping the ball off when you know you have to push the ball down the field. And we would ask them about it and ask Clay Helton. He's like, that's what we teach him to do. He's, Cody Kessler's doing the right thing. If it, if it's not open deep, you take what you, the defense has given you. Which doesn't really make any sense when you have to score twice in four minutes. You can't dump the ball off for four yards and have the clock keep running. And with seven seconds left near midfield, you're de- you need to get it. You either score a touchdown or get in field goal range. There's really not a lot of time to get in field goal range with seven seconds. And it's fourth and ten, so you're pretty much handcuffed to throwing the ball in the end zone and trying Did to. Did everyone a- realize it was fourth down? Because it didn't seem like anyone realized it was fourth down. Well, okay, so Clay Helton afterwards said um, that he called a Hail Mary, and okay. that's what it was supposed to be. Cody Kessler, and he said, made the right decision or something, I'm going to paraphrase, but that saw that you could get a quick out and try to get 10 yards, and I he tried to make a good play, but the receiver didn't get deep enough, and they ran out of time. Which And then so Cody Kessler said that, he checked to that, like he was gonna, you know, he saw Rogers would have been open and, you know, and called the audible or whatever, was gonna try to get a quick 10 yards, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you're still gonna have to throw a Hail Mary. You weren't gonna be in field goal range after that. And then sort of threw Darius Rogers under the bus telling that he didn't know what the down and distance was. He didn't realize it was fourth down, didn't realize he needed 10 yards, cut it off. They threw the ball out of bounds seven yards. It wasn't complete anyway. It was just a complete gaffe, and like we said, it was kind of a, a perfect microcosm of the entire season. There's only one decision there is throw the ball in the end zone, and the fact that somehow it came to the point where they were changing the play, and one guy didn't know what the down and distance was. It was it was absolutely perfect, but yeah, this, USC did not deserve to win that game, and they almost won that game a couple of different... They, they took the lead late in the game, which was kind of crazy. They, yeah, that was nuts. Um, kind of the same thing that Miami was doing, but they actually did punch it in for the touchdown. Um, yeah, this, um, I, so I guess from the macro perspective, um, from the, I guess, cause you've got the, the finger on the pulse of the USC fan base. How are, I mean, so the Clay Helton era, um, as, as the interim and now the head coach, he's gone five and four, um, beat UCLA, then lost to Stanford, lost this game, opens next season with Alabama, which, well, Okay, so he opens next season with Alabama. How, how are people feeling right now after this one where they did look so kind of disorganized and confused at the end of this game? Yeah, there's a, I mean, I think Clay Helton had a lot of supporters and still does, but there's a, a lot of people that are really shaking their head. Not that they're mad at Clay Helton or disappointed. I think they're more disappointed in the administration that you hired this guy basically because his stock was very high after beating UCLA and they were all excited about beating UCLA, but He's lost three of his last four games, two of them convincingly to Oregon and Stanford where it wasn't competitive, and then losing in the bowl game to Wisconsin, which they were definitely a more talented team. You got to, you know, let a quarterback like Joel Stave, who, you know, had more interceptions and touchdowns, look like, you know, it was Kevin Hogan or something. Um, yeah. It was, so yeah, I think there's a lot of the fans that are just like, man, what's going on? They just signed this guy. His career really hasn't even started yet. And they've lost their last two, three or last four. And they're just kind of dreading what the future of USC football can be because it doesn't look, uh, it hasn't looked good so far. Now, this is, he's, Clay Helton took over someone else's team. It's going to be his first offseason, his first, you know, right. finishing of the recruiting class and all that stuff. So we don't really know, but I, I don't think it's a, a, a great start. It's not the really the, the step forward you would want to be taking if you're Clay Helton going into 2016. When you're facing a very tough schedule, starting with Alabama. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So USC ends the season eight and six. Um, Pac-12 South in general, just not not a good year. 
Um, no. Should we get into our previews? Yeah, I think we should. Um, let's see. So we have three more games left for the Pac-12. Uh, not too, you know, pretty good start. The only schools that have lost so far are the LA schools that we know pretty well. Um, <laughs> I, I think they got a good shot at these last three as well. So let's, yeah. and we do have previews from our, our, uh, our experts on scout.com. So let's start with Stanford Cardinal. Number six, Stanford is taking on number five, Iowa in the Rose Bowl. Uh, 11 and 2 Stanford versus 12 and 1 Iowa. This game will be on at what game is, what time is this game on, Brian? That's a very good question. Let me uh, pull it up real quick. Um, I think that that's funny. The Rose Bowl, they have their, uh, they have the set time. It's 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, yeah, that's so weird. Why don't they have it on a little bit later? It's I don't so know. Strange. But part of the um, reason why you have the, 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 uh, uh, well, the, uh, playoff games on New Year's Eve is because the Rose Bowl doesn't want to move their time. They're always going to be the same time. But then you have like other bowls that are like the Sugar Bowl, I think would say the same thing. Like, well, we're not moving ours too. It's like, well, you don't have the same tradition that the Rose Bowl has. Uh, but yeah, so 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern for the Rose Bowl. On ESPN, Stanford is favored by six in this one. Let's hear from our man, RJ. Our man, RJ, right here. Here you go. The Stanford Cardinal looks to make history January 1st at the 102nd Rose Bowl against a very similar to the Cardinal, Iowa Hawkeye. Stanford quarterback Kevin Hogan will become only the third quarterback in college football history to start three Rose Bowl games, and he'll become the first Pac-12 quarterback to ever, ever to do so. If the Cardinal wins, he'll become the second quarterback in Stanford history to win two Rose Bowls in the final game of his collegiate career. Health-wise, the Cardinal checks out pretty good. Heading into the January 1st showdown, the secondary is back to full health. Senior cornerback Ronnie Harris is a full go at this point, as is the rest of the Cardinal, headed into the showdown against a very rugged Iowa Hawkeye team. The Cardinal will look to ride off into the Pasadena sunset by righting the wrong of a very disappointing opening week loss to a Big Ten school, in this case, it's Iowa and not Northwestern. Stanford, Iowa, in the Rose Bowl, January 1st. So the podcast is RJ, R- and thebootleg.com. This is RJ Abadia. We got, we got to work on his pausing there. A little. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> RJ sounded a little worse for wear. I think, I'm going to blame that on New Year's Eve as well. There you go, RJ. Uh, um, so I've got... I've got Iowa to cover in this one. Um, I, I think they're two very similar teams, and David Shaw has shown a willingness when he's going up against a power football team to kind of just, you know, not play down to them, but play their game and play his game and just, you know, grind it out and do that whole thing. And I think this is going to be a three-point game either way. I, I think six points is just too much. Um, you know, I think Stanford's going to be able to run the ball a fair amount on Iowa. You know, Christian McCaffrey's really good and they've got a great offensive line. But Iowa's I mean, Iowa's defense is good. Their offensive line is good. I think they're gonna be able to run the ball uh, pretty consistently on Stanford's defense. Stanford's defense might be the worst unit on the field in this team in this game, and they're not bad, but I just you know, Iowa's pretty decent on both sides. Stanford's defense is just a you know, they're just okay. They're not great. Um, Stanford's offense though is the, I think the best unit of the four. Um, so I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be very much a one score game and I think it's going to be Stanford by a field goal, but I I can't pick them to cover six. I think that's too many in the game like this. Oh, okay. So this, we've, all our bowl picks have been the same. I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go with our boy RJ. I'm going to go with the Cardinal, um, watching Alabama and Michigan state last night. Not very impressed with what I saw. Um, I just think, I think Stanford and Iowa are similar, like you said, but I think Stanford's just going to do it better. So I, I, my gut feeling, and I don't know why, I mean, listen to what you said, Dave, I, it makes sense. My gut feeling though is that Stanford's going to win this one by 10 points or so. So I'm going to take Stanford for this one. I'll be honest with you. That was my feeling up until about, uh, like two minutes ago. Really? And then I decided to be clever. And, uh, so <laughs> we're going to be clever now. Let's this look. is how much thought we put into these picks, guys. Just so you know. Well, hey, it's been working. We're uh, I know. 
it's you know I think we're doing a good job on that. So yeah, that that'll be a good one. I mean, the the two playoff games were pretty much duds if, if you like competitive games. Um, but you know the Houston um, Florida State one I thought was pretty interesting as far as New Year Six bowls go. This one could be, but I'm kind of getting the feeling Stanford's going to stretch its legs a little bit and, and just kind of pull away. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But that's a a little bit later on today. Absolutely. And then we've got a couple of games tomorrow, correct? Yeah, a couple on the second, which is weird. First one up is Oregon Ducks. So number 15, Oregon is taking on number 11, TCU, in the Alamo Bowl. But uh, Javon Boykin, is TCU's quarterback, is suspended for the game after, I think, attempting to assault a police officer. In any case, uh, this game will take place at 3.45 p.m. on ESPN on the second. Oregon is currently favored by seven. I wouldn't be shocked if that continues to climb heading into game day. Um, but let's hear what uh, Steve Summers has to say about the game. Here you go. The Oregon Ducks face the TCU Horn Frogs in the Valero Alamo Bowl on Saturday in a game up until this morning appeared to be a high-scoring high whoever has the ball last wins affair. But... Uh, this morning, that has all changed. Sometime after midnight uh, last night, TCU quarterback Trevon Boykin was arrested for assaulting a San Antonio police officer and is now in jail pending release on a $5,000 bond. Boykin and wide receiver Preston Miller have been suspended for the bowl game, according to a release from the TCU Athletic Department. In the incident, which occurred in downtown San Antonio, occurred early this morning after Boykin had been in his uh, team hotel room for midnight uh, curfew check. Uh, details of the incident are still rolling in, but from what I gather, uh, the San Antonio police are normally very lenient on people on the river walk unless the individual gets out of hand with the cops, then all bets are off. The Riverwalk here in San Antonio is expected to attract uh, over 200,000 people tonight, but clearly Trevon Boykin won't be one of them. Uh, we'll get some reaction from Oregon defensive coordinator Don Pelham uh, this afternoon when the Ducks' uh, defense take the podium for the Valero Alamo Bowl Week uh, interview uh, series. Uh, likely what Pelham will have to say that is it uh, doesn't matter who the Horn Frog a quarterback uh, will be the Ducks over fair the same way. Duck fans, of course, are hoping that preparation won't result in some sort of offensive record that seems to have plagued the Ducks' all, uh, defense all season long, so we'll see what uh, happens. So, so reporting live from San Antonio, Texas, I'm Steve Summers of educk.com. All right, so good stuff from Steve there. Um yeah, it does kind of change the nature of things um, for Boykin to be out in this one. Uh, I think everyone was expecting kind of an offensive, just, you know, slugfest because neither team's defense is particularly good this year. TCU's because of injury, Oregon's because it's just not very good this year. Um, but now with Boykin out, TCU was already kind of a little injured and beat up on, on offense. But with Boykin out, that really changes the game. Um I, I think Oregon's gonna gonna be able to win this one pretty comfortably. Their offense was firing on a really high level at the end of the year. They did have that little scare against Oregon State where the defense looked dreadful. So I'm sure they'll make you know TCU's backup situation look pretty good in this one. Um, if Oregon State was able to move the ball on them pretty well, you know TCU should be able to. But it's not going to be at the level it would have been with Boykin. I like Oregon to win this one by probably about ten points. I think they're going to be pretty comfortably in control in this game. And I think uh, Vernon Adams is going to have a big performance against that TCU defense. Actually, I wrote down our, I, t I put our picks together before you even said anything. I thought Ryan and Dave both pick Oregon. I just kind of knew that you were going to do that. <laughs> and I'm going to pick him too. Uh, I think Vernon Adams is the, the highest rated quarterback in the country. Um, yeah. Even though he missed a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of games there with the broken finger. Um, sometimes in a bowl game, distractions can you know work both i just don't think losing your quarterback uh he was a guy that wants to he wanted to be a police officer and he insults one yeah at the riverwalk you know, dave you and i both have been down to san antonio around new year's eve on the riverwalk uh -huh. having a few cocktails and such and uh i never once felt i wanted to punch a police officer i just you know 
I, did, I wanted to jump in that river or something every once in a while, but never want to punch a police officer. So I, that's, that's just like, weird. I can't see that, that going well. Yeah, that wouldn't be on my list of like, you know, it wouldn't be on my bucket list to, you know, punch a cop <laughs> when I'm like drunk after midnight. Like, uh, like among like things to do, that's just, I mean, first of all, it's, you know, it's not good to punch anyone, kids. Don't, don't punch anyone. But like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super interested in getting shot. Like, I'm not, I'm not down for that. I don't want to get shot. And I think if I punch the cop, I, I, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to get shot. Yeah. They have guns. I don't want that. Yeah. I mean, swimming drunkenly in a river, there's a chance I might drown, but you know, that's a, that's a dumb choice I can make for myself. But yeah, no, I, you know, that, you know, you, you, you get, you get drunk and you make stupid decisions. That kind of thing happens. I'm sure he's going to learn from it. I'm sure this is going to be a big, you know, black mark on his reputation going into, the NFL and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, he's going to have to learn from this and, uh, hopefully he does and he makes better decisions in the future. Wait, it's funny. So San Antonio, like I'd never really been there much, but now if you cover recruiting, you've probably been there quite a bit, usually around, um, and I'm actually flying out there Sunday. Um, I know Dave, you were there last year, I believe for the Alamo Bowl, but we cover the Army All American game and now they've actually moved it a little bit later. So I'll be there the, the week prior to the game covering the recruits and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, we spent a lot of New Year's Eve in San Antonio just because of, you know, the Army Bowl. And uh, it's kind of get you kind of do the same things, you know, after a while. I can see, like, it's kind of a fun thing, but, you know, going to the Alamo, you only really get to do that once. And after that, like, you don't really want to go again. Right. But, man, it's just hard to picture how that would end up happening. And, you know, he, I, the report I read where he was, you know, bed check at midnight, he was there and then went out again. Um I, it's it's just baffling to me that something like this could happen. How important it is you want to try to win these bowl games and stuff, and to end your career like that, it's just a head scratcher. I mean, everyone says you know he's a nice kid and stuff. Everyone makes mistakes. You feel bad for him, but man, it's, it's, this could haunt him for a while. He's going to be answering a lot of questions going through the NFL draft process about what happened in San Antonio. Oh yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of those character questions, and he'll have to answer it well. And I'm. You know, everything I heard about him prior to this was that he's a good kid. So, you know, he can probably lean on his reputation and, uh, you know, go through it that way. But yeah, uh, it's, it's a, sometimes it's a problem with bowl games. Um, not, you know, kids are going to go out and go punch cops, but the motivation level, the, the attention level, the, you know, the focus just isn't there. Um, because this is, it's the Alamo Bowl and it's, you know, the second Pac-12 bowl and the, you know, second or third Big 12 bowl. So everyone's kind of, from a fan perspective, kind of excited about the matchup. But these kids, they were, I mean, TCU and Oregon both, these two teams thought they had a real chance to be playoff teams this year, and now they're in the Alamo Bowl. So, you know, Trevon Boykin's going out and, I mean, first of all, just going out and getting drunk the week of your bowl game. I mean, this is, this is what, three days before the game? Yeah. I mean, that's... That's a little questionable just in and of itself. And yeah, it happens during bowl week because no one cares about bowl games. Um, but that's kind of one issue. There's got to be some solution to make these games matter a little bit more for these kids. Um, or just, you know, do something different with the entire process because too often these bowl games end up feeling like preseason NFL games where they just don't matter at all. And it's not all, it's not even a great deal of fun to watch. It's funny. Well, it, I mean, that's why picking these games, you got, you kind of have to look at and try to guess what the motivation factor is going to be. If one team doesn't want to be there, and we've seen, you know, the Alabamas of the world, we've seen different, you know, big teams, you're in a game that you feel is beneath you and you don't want to show up. Or other teams, it's like they're Super Bowl and they show yeah. up like gangbusters. Um, so it's, it's why picking these bowl games can be so difficult. It, but if you, if you, you have to take the motivation factor into it. You don't always know, but you get a pretty good logical guess. Um, to me, I, it's, you know, that's why I picked, you know, Oregon in this one. It just, I think TCU is going to lose some of the motivating factor of losing your quarterback like that. It just seems like it's not going to be as important. And the fact that he did that probably meant they weren't taking it all that seriously going into it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we should move on to the last 10th bowl game. Crazy. 10 bowl games yeah. for the Pac 12. Uh, the last game features. Arizona State Sun Devils. 
The Arizona State Sun Devils will take on West Virginia in the Cactus Bowl. This game will be on at 7.15 p.m. tomorrow, January 2nd. Uh, on ESPN as well, the line is West Virginia currently by one, which is interesting because this is effectively a home game for Arizona State as the game takes place in Phoenix, uh, which is about 20 mi- twenty minute drive, I think, the stadium from uh, ASU's campus. So uh, let's kind of hear what our, our man Chris Cartman has to say about this game. Here you go. Hey, it's Chris Cartman previewing the Cactus Bowl with Arizona State and West Virginia. Sun Devils have been a difficult team to predict really this whole season. Never know whether they're going to show up on the defensive side of the football. Uh, haven't really gotten in sync with offense and defense. Uh, uh, West Virginia is a pretty good football team. Big 12 has been tough at the very top, as everybody knows. Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, West Virginia was very competitive in that league. Uh, I feel like the defense is, is solid and mature. The offense is run-based. That's going to be uh, something to look for. They have their top running back had nearly 1,500 rushing yards. ASU's done a great job with its run blitzes of stopping the run. I think this game, at the end of the day, probably is going to come down again to who has the bigger plays and who takes care of the football. West Virginia has a plus 11 turnover margin. ASU's been uncharacteristically bad. In that category, ASU's given up the most 40-plus yard plays in the country. And its secondary hasn't done a very good job when it's blitzed uh, being uh, secure on that back end. So uh, I think this game will be not as high-scoring as some of the others uh, more recently that ASU's played in and, and just the trend of college football overall. I'm going to actually take West Virginia to win this game, though, by a score of 42-37. to 37. For, for SunDevilSource.com, it's Chris Cartman. All right, good stuff from Chris. I'm going to take issue with one thing he said, though, that West Virginia is good or any good at all. Um, they're not. West Virginia is not a good football team. Um, they lost basically to every good opponent they played this year. Um, they lost, and really it's only four teams. Um, they lost at Oklahoma by 20, Oklahoma State at home by 7, at Baylor by 24, and at TCU by 30. They beat Texas Tech and Texas. Neither of those teams is very good. And they beat um, Iowa State. I mean, the one road game they won was at Kansas. Otherwise, wow. uh, just not very good. They lost at Kansas State in the final game of the year. I think ASU is just a better team. Um, I really do. I, I mean, I think ASU has had a tough year for sure. Uh, but I think they're fundamentally a better team. And I think it's a home game for them. Um, so I kind of like ASU here. I think... Motivation could, we should get into the motivation thing. It can be weird if you're only playing 20 minutes from your home. Yeah. Especially if you were thinking about being, you know, going away for the, for the bowl game, if you were excited about it at all. But I think, you know, most of those ASU kids, I think they'll be happy to be playing in front of friends and family again in Phoenix, a big stadium. Um, I think they'll be motivated. I think West Virginia, I think they'll be fairly motivated too. They get to go to a warm weather state and hang out in Phoenix and, uh, you know, Party on Mill Ave. I mean, who doesn't like that? Um, but I think ASU will be pretty motivated. And I just think they're a better team and they're playing at home. So I like ASU to win outright um, and obviously cover the one, the, the half point that West Virginia is favored by. I was kind of swinging back and forth. Chris almost talked me into it. But Dave, you brought me back to why I originally was going to pick ASU in this game. Plus get a point. I thought ASU might be favored by a couple. The um, fact that uh, West Virginia is, I'm going to go along the same lines. I think it'll be fun watching, uh, you know, one last, you know, blitzing spectacular from the Arizona State defense. Yeah. What's going on? And yeah, it's one of those teams where West Virginia just seems like the team, like you said, like the, the teams that are not as good, they beat. The teams that are better, they lose to. They're not as good on the road. This is essentially a road game. Maybe the, if, if, if West Virginia wins, I think it's going to be, they're going to be much more motivated for some reason. I just don't see that one happening. So getting a point. Let's stick. I'll stick with my homer picks for the Pac-12 for these last three games, and I'm going to take ASU. All right. So we've had one different pick this entire time, Stanford game, right? Yeah. And we're so we're five one and one so far, which is you're, we're already guaranteed to have a, a winning record, which is cool. That's and, great. And we'll see. Uh, so the Stanford game will decide who is the uh, bowl champion pick up. But I, I think we're both winners right now. We're both you know making the people money. Hopefully, you guys bet a lot of money on all of our picks because you know. You know we're smart guys. We know what we're talking about. Exactly right. 
<laughs> so we've got a few questions. You want to get to a few questions? Yeah, yeah, we we'll, yeah, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. And again, we apologize for for not having this up on New Year's Eve. It's been a little crazy, but you know, New Year's morning give you something to uh, listen to while you the, watch the cure. The, the cure for the common hangover. Right? Yes, just call it that. That's all this is. All right, we've got um, Earl in West LA, our good friend. Um, he says, uh, looking forward to the Pac-12 roundup. Guys, what makes college football so great is it is unpredictable. In some ways, the Nebraska game was perhaps the safest bet of the first five Pac-12 bowl opponents. There is no way I envisioned the Bruins losing to a 5-7 and seven Big Ten team. It is just as hard to believe the USC game plan of pounding the rock and getting Rosen off his spot would work just as well a month later. Finally, I've never heard of a player signing off signing with an agent the week before a bowl game. Is this a player putting himself before his team, or is there more to this story? Looking forward to year two of the Pac-12 podcast with more listeners than the Pac-12 network has viewers. Happy New Year, <laughs> Earl in West L.A. Happy New Year, Earl. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we both, I, I think we both more or less said we envisioned uh, a 5-7 and seven Big, Big Ten team beating the Bruins, or at least covering their seven points, so... We kind of foresaw it. Um, you know, I, I, I always question UCLA's motivation in bowl games. Um, yeah, the Alex Redmond thing, signing with an agent the week before the bowl game was a little weird. He, he posted later that it's also academics. He wasn't academically eligible, but still it's just, you know, it's not a good PR thing. It's another kind of bad PR thing for UCLA this year, starting with, you know, the weird thing with Miles Jack where he signed with an agent mid season after injuring his knee. Um, just, you know, weird stuff happening all year. Um, but yeah, it's, there, there's more to it than just the, you know, Redmond deciding he was going to do that randomly. He was academically, he wasn't going to be able to play in the bowl game anyway. Um, so I think he just kind of figured get started and, you know, stop bothering with attending class and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, good luck to him. But yeah, there, there was a little bit more to it than just him quitting. That, I mean, that's the other factor too, when we talk about bowl games is that some players just can't play because of academics. It's a different, it, you know, ends up the semester ends and all that kind of stuff and the finals come in. And like you find out a player that just isn't able to play. And, uh, I, I kind of, I didn't know the, the full story there, but when that happened, like that was what I was figuring, Dave was like, it has to be no really reason to do that unless you're really just mad or whatever. But if you're academically ineligible, then you might as well just, uh, part ways at that point. I guess, I guess. Um, all right. Our man Nick with his recap week two bull game recap. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus. Well, everyone in Southern California is singing the blues, but the Pac 12 is looking good. The U-14 versus Washington State 20. So Washington State finishes the year with nine wins. Who would have thought that after losing in week one? Gotta say, Coach Leach did something right to ride the, right the ship. Congrats, Cougs. UW-44 versus Southern Miss 31. Well, UW wins number seven and has a better year than most expect. Good win. UCLA-29 versus Nebraska 37. Well, UCLA started strong, then gave the game away in the end. Bad loss, no excuses. This was a team with five wins. What excuse does Mora have for this loss? Cal 55 versus Air Force 36. Huge win for Cal and Jared Goff. Cal gets eight wins and will leave for the NFL. Good win for Cal. Uh, USC 21 versus Wisconsin 23. Well, slow start, no rhythm, bad start to the game. D played well. Offense was inconsistent. Wisconsin made plays to win. SC didn't. By the way, I'm an SC fan, and that was a TD run by Wisconsin. And an <laughs> SEC crew ref team blew it big time. I'm sure the Pac-12 refs will bring that up in media day to say, See, we're not that bad, LOL. Nonetheless, not the ideal start to Coach Helton's SC coaching career. All good stuff from Nick, and then he's got some questions. Um, which of these teams surprised you in a good way during Week 2 Bowl Week, and who disappointed you guys? My biggest surprise was Cal, and my biggest dis- disappointment was, I guess, UCLA, but... It- Tie ball game between UCLA and USC, but uh, definitely the biggest uh, the biggest surprise in a good way was Cal for me. Yeah, I think I would I would go with Cal as well. I mean Washington State getting that win and the way they did, where I thought I didn't think they'd win a twenty to fourteen game or whatever it was. Um, so that that's a little bit of a surprise for me. It was it was definitely UCLA the most disappointing. I I was picking certain to to pick Wisconsin. I mean Wisconsin and the points. Um, I was on the, teetering on the edge of picking UCLA to cover, uh, against, uh, Nebraska, even knowing that they, they lost like four heartbreakers and they could have easily had seven or eight wins. I just, I, I just felt like the motivation factor would be there. So I was going back and forth. I ended up coming to, you know, take, uh, take Nebraska in the points, but, uh, I, I just, I was a little more disappointed in them. I just thought that, you know, I, the, the Wisconsin game for USC went the way I thought it was going to go. 
the Nebraska game did not go the way I thought it was going to go. So I, that'll be my bigger disappointment. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm with you on that. UCLA, definitely the biggest disappointment. Uh, David Woods, what did you make of the bowl game and early departures? Well, like I said, I think UCLA is probably the biggest disappointment of the bowl season so far for the Pac-12. Um, the early departures are weird. Um, not not any individual decision is super weird. Like, if you know the, the individual factors in every one, you can kind of look at it and say, okay. But the fact that so many juniors have left, um, so many guys who are you know, they might get drafted and they might not. They're marginal draft prospects. None, nobody's been, I think Redmond is probably the one where you would say there's probably not much of a chance he gets drafted, which he's probably similar to the Ellis McCarthy situation last year. Everyone else, I think there's a reasonable chance they get drafted, but it's still, it's just kind of, uh, it's concerning. Whenever you lose guys the way you see always lost guys this year with, uh, not just, you know, not just the the guys leaving for the NFL, but transfers midseason like Fred Perry, um, guys like Chris Clark. Um, you know, even I don't know if you can link all these issues. Any individual issue again is you know it's its own separate thing. But the fact that all these things are happening is uh, obviously not a good thing for UCLA. It's funny the LA schools got enough drama for like two conferences, let alone. Oh yeah, this year this year has been the <laughs> year of the LA schools just. <laughs> making more headlines for non-football reasons than anyone. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, what do you think happens for Coach Clay Helton going forward? Any positive news you can tell us? Maybe bring Aranda, I hope? Yeah, so we don't know. We they had a conference call last night. We had a New Year's Eve conference call, uh, the last one of the of the football season, and he didn't have any updates on the assistant coaching hires, but it looks like, they're going to bring in his brother, uh, Tyson Helton and, you know, from, uh, Western Kentucky and the offensive line coach there, Neil Calloway, who's actually been the head coach at Alabama, Birmingham, played at Alabama. I, I kind of like that. I thought they needed to bring in some, some experienced coaches. Uh, Tyson Helton, you know, not all that experienced. He's been at, at, at WKU as the offensive coordinator for a couple of years, but, uh, Neil Calloway, if they get him, <coughs> excuse me. If they get him, I think he's like, you know, some guy that has some gray hair, been around a while. I think he'd be a good hire. We don't really know on the defensive coordinator side, which I think is kind of the most important. I think really the offensive line coach is, is very important. If they get Callaway, that would probably be good. Um, but as far as the defensive coordinator, we've heard Clancy Pendergast is back in the mix after initially turning USC down. His situation up at, um, the 49ers, they're kind of, they, they could all be in limbo, all those coaches there. But Dave Aranda, I mean, I think he had a pretty good showing against USC in the Holiday Bowl. He would be a, a good one as well. He's a defensive coordinator for Wisconsin. But we don't know yet. We're not sure uh, which direction they're going to go. But it seems like within the next week or so, he'll probably have that staff uh, kind of ironed out. All right, good stuff. And then uh, he asks, Pac-12, 5-2, do we get to the magical seven wins we predicted? And I think we're saying yes right now. So, yeah. I think so, eight. yeah. And then, uh, last question. Can we get basketball news? LOL. I went there. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we might get into some doldrums in January where we need to talk some basketball, but not yet. The, uh, Here conference season starting now, right? Like, yeah, UCLA plays Washington tonight. I think some games were played already yesterday, but whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> Alex from Pasadena. This is the last question of the day. Hola, amigos. Now that both Southern Cal and UCLA seasons are over, what's your best and worst part of each season? Also, thanks for being brutally honest with the listeners. Keep up the great work. Best and worst part of the season for UCLA and USC. Um, you know what we should do, Ryan? What? We should make a note. Can you take a note right now? Sure. Let's do this for every Pac-12 school next week. Instead of just answering this question for UCLA and USC, let's do that for every Pac-12 school. That'll give us a nice little recap show. Okay. Best part of the season for Oregon, worst part of the season for Oregon. Best part for Washington, worst part for Washington. Yeah. Because I think we don't want to make it too LA-centric, and we'll need to do some research before we answer that for all the other schools. I like that. And is it limited to one worst thing? Because I can think of a whole bunch for USC, at least. Uh, that's that's what makes it fun, though. You have to think of the worst thing. <laughs> all right. That's Not cool. the many bad things. Not the not the many awful things, just the worst thing. And if you if, if you're a fan of the Cougars or whoever, any of the, the Pac-12 schools, and you want to send in your nominations for best and worst, uh, email us uh, Pac-12 Podcast at gmail.com and let us know. 
and help us in our decision making. Well, we all have our own picks. I like that. I like that. It'll be a good show next week, Dave. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Good stuff from Alex. You just gave us an idea for an hour long podcast. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, that's it for me. That's Sweet. it for me in 2016. Man, the first show, this probably is the first podcast anyone will listen to in 2016. It was actually recorded in 2016 because we're recording it in the morning. Yeah. Uh, but Dave, good stuff. Thanks for hanging with me and my hangover state. Never, never a problem, Ryan. This is, this <laughs> is the cure for all hangover. Yes. I've never done a podcast hungover like this. My first one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. It was good. So we recapped five games. We previewed three more. We answered your questions. We got a new idea for a show next week. So enjoy the rest of the New Year Six Bowls and the rest of all of the the bowl games, the Pac-12 teams, and all of that. Thanks for tuning in. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham, and we are the Podcast of Champions.